0: Welcome to The Compass, the sermon-based podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. If you're looking for a church to call your own, a place where you can study and grow in God's Word and serve with other believers, we'd love for you to visit Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. Calvary is located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Our worship service begins at 1030 on Sunday mornings. If you need more information about Calvary Church, you can find that at calvaryfedville.com or you can call us at 479-442-4634. Now in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing a new series entitled Lessons from the Upper Room with a message from John chapter 13 verses 31 through 35 called Jesus New Commandment. Let's listen together.
1: Of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only John devotes almost one-fourth of his entire book, his entire gospel, the book that bears his name, to what took place over just a few hours in the upper room in Jerusalem. So many events of Jesus. Mark and Luke and Matthew, they list so many miracles, for instance. John only mentions seven in his entire book. And those seven miracles he refers to as signs because they were all giving evidence that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. But these five chapters, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, almost entirely in red, if you have a red letter Bible, meaning that they are the words of Jesus. And these five chapters, almost exclusively the words of Jesus, take place the night before his crucifixion. And I would suggest to you that they are the most intimate words our Savior ever spoke, at least in what's recorded for us. The entire gospel story is told in these five chapters, and if this was all that God gave to us for His Word, these five chapters will be enough of truth for us to spend the rest of our lives studying. Now we focused last week on the first three or four verses of John chapter 13 and related some things regarding this event that was, without doubt, the most stunning, the most astonishing, the most surprising thing that Jesus ever did. It is lost to a great deal on you and me today. We see it, we kind of remark that Wow, that was a great expression of humility. But we don't understand, because of our culture, just how shocking this was when Jesus got up from the Passover meal <clears throat> from the table where he and his disciples were reclining. And he took off his outer garment, he wrapped himself in a towel, he got a water basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. All of them, all 12, even Judas, the great betrayer, the one who was a son of perdition that is in hell today. Jesus washed his feet the same as he washed the feet of his faithful other 11 disciples. It was an astonishing act because that was something that people just didn't do. Only a household slave, not a servant, not one who serves the master, but a slave who was absolutely considered worthless in the eyes of people. Only a slave was allowed to perform the humiliating act of washing the filthy feet of people. And so Jesus took that place. Jesus humbled himself that much. He was showing himself to be what Scripture says he was, the divine servant. He washed his disciples' feet, and it all foreshadowed his humility and his sacrifice that was going to take place just a few hours later, the next day, on the cross. Now, the Bible says, it begins in chapter 13, verse 1, with these words, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Not just to the end of his life, but the word means he loved them to perfection. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them with the total fullness of love. Now, in our text today, we're going to read these words, beginning in verse 31. Follow along with me. When he had gone out, that's referring to Judas, when he left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him In himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Notice verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Now, between Jesus' expression of humility and love and washing the disciples' feet in the first part of this chapter and his new commandment to love one another as he had loved them, in the latter part of this chapter, several things took place. We find that in this expression of humility, this was a statement I made towards the end of the message last week, but it was not on the screen. And the more that I've contemplated it this week in light of this message, The more important, I think, it is that you remember it, that you write it down, that you spend some time with it. And it is this. Only absolute humility can generate absolute love. Only absolute humility can generate absolute love. Jesus Loved his disciples to the end, to the perfection, to the completion, to the uttermost. He loved them with absolute love. And he loves you with an absolute love as well. But understand, it's only absolute humility that can generate absolute love jesus showed that by washing the disciples feet he showed his absolute humility the next day in being willing to not only be the divine servant the night before but to the next day be the lamb of sacrifice to be nailed to a cross in nakedness in humility in scorn and in hatred he demonstrated his humility that perfects his love for, uh, for his disciples and for us. Beloved, if there are limits, listen to me now, if there are limits in what your humility will allow you to do, or, or should I say your lack of humility allow you to do, then there are limits on your love. You don't love as Christ Loves. If you're not willing to wash feet, if you are not willing to do the most humble, the most humiliating, the most self-effacing, the most selfless acts of service to others, you have never been completed and made perfect in love. You don't love as Jesus loved. And I want to suggest to you without heading down this rabbit trail... It's why so few people see value to giving their lives to Christ today. You'll see that in the message and the points that we'll yet share. It's why people are not beating on the doors trying to get into the church to discover why we can love each other the way that we love each other. It's why this lack of love, this lack of selfless humility that generates absolute love, a godly kind of love. It's why churches are in trouble today, why their message is meaningless to so many, why there are divisions, why the house of God is empty, why the doors are shutting down. It is the lack of love that people have for God and for one another. Now, between the event where he demonstrated his love and his commandment that they are to love one another as he has loved them, several things took place. He asked if they understood what he had done for them in washing their feet. And initially, they did not understand it. In fact, Peter tried to reject it. They did not fully understand what this act of humility was all about. And he said, this is an example for you. And it's an example for us. Also in the following verses, he explained that it was not only a true example of true love and servanthood. Now remember, they were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. So it was truly a rebuke to men who were trying to exalt themselves. And he said, humble yourself. The Bible says a few verses later that he was troubled in spirit. He was troubled in spirit. He was troubled in spirit because one of the 12 was going to betray him. In fact, he even identified the betrayer as Judas Iscariot, though the others didn't understand fully that that's what he was doing. They missed it. And he was troubled in spirit because there was another one who, though he was not going to betray him, he was going to deny him three times. Do you remember who that was? the leader of the pack. It was Peter. And so Peter was going to deny him. Judas was going to betray him. I would suggest to you that the distance between denial and betrayal is a very short trip. So he was troubled in spirit. But then we have this command in verse 34 and 35. It has been called... The great commandment. Some have referred to it as the 11th commandment. You have the 10 commandments of the Old Testament and then this great commandment in the New Testament. Let's read it again, verse 34 and 35. In fact, why don't you read it aloud with me if you have your Bibles open. Verse 34 and 35, let's read it aloud. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to frame these two verses with four statements. Four statements. Why did I do that? (laughs) Four statements. All right, for you to contemplate. First of all, there is a mystery here. The mystery. A new commandment I give unto you. And the mystery is this. Why is it new? Why did he call it new? You see, this commandment to love one another is going to be identified what is a sure sign of faith in Jesus. People who are truly saved are going to be people who love. It's going to be a test of one's salvation, this love for the brethren. You find that Francis Schaeffer called it the mark of the Christian. Oftentimes we mark ourselves by other things, denominational names, traditions, Types of clothing, types of certain behaviors that identify us, you find it all through the New Testament of Jesus' day, the religious leaders identified themselves with so many different external things. But Jesus tells us that the mark of the Christian, the true Christian, is internal that flows out and it shows itself to be external. It's not dress. It's not behaviors. It's not all kinds of rule-keeping. It is the attitude of the heart. So what is the great mystery here? Why does Jesus call it new? Well, follow the track with me. Keep in mind that in Jesus' day, the Bible that he knew, the Bible that he would have read from, the Bible that was the only Bible that the Jewish people had, that people had in his day, was the Old Testament. They did not have the New Testament. The New Testament was taking place, right? It was going to be recorded for our generation and other generations before us. But in Jesus' day, all they had was the Old Testament. It was basically divided into four parts. Do you remember? There were the books of the law, basically the first five books of the Bible. Then there were books of history, and the book of law also contains some history, but there are books that are primarily historical books, like Joshua and and others uh, of his time. Then there are books of poetry. It's not the kind of poetry we're used to, but it's poetry nonetheless. The book of Job, the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have the fourth section, which were the prophets. Now, oftentimes you'll hear in Jesus' day, when you're reading the Gospels, they'll kind of abbreviate that. They'll refer to the law and the prophets, okay? Because that's what was often seen as being the primary identification of the Old Testament Scripture. But they included the books of history and the books of poetry As well. Keep in mind that the Word of God is here, and why it is so detailed, why it is so long, is because it contains information, but it also contains inspiration, okay? That some parts of the Bible, if you read parts of the Bible and you just can't get any kind of inspiration out of it, if you started off this year reading through the Bible in 2022, by now you've gotten to some places that it just doesn't bless you all the way down to your toes, does it? It's such detail, it's information, and understand, it is just as inspired as God, it is just as much God's Word, but it's not intended to bless you like John 3.16 is, okay? Information and inspiration. But all they had in Jesus' day was the Old Testament, And that Old Testament, the heart of it, were the commandments of God. Specifically, I'm going to get it right this time, the Ten Commandments, all right? The Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai, God with his own finger wrote those commandments in stone tablets. Ten Commandments. And understand there were other commandments, hundreds of them that dealt with certain things like judicial type law, how the government of God's people would run and how uh, they would deal with uh, people who broke laws. There was not only judicial, but there was also Levitical laws that dealt with the priesthood, the garments of the priesthood, the actions of the priesthood. There were also uh, dietary laws that were given to uh, help keep the people uh, healthy about certain things to avoid in eating and certain things uh, that you were to eat. And aren't we thankful that God released us from a lot of that in the New Testament? You can go eat you some fried shrimp for lunch. There's a lot of things you can eat. You can eat you some catfish. You couldn't do that if you were an Old Testament Jew. Understand God has liberated us from a lot of those details that identified the people of God. And while it seems sometimes almost minute and it seems unimportant, it kept them together as a people. Until the New Testament, when we see the true fulfillment of what is the true people of God. You see, the Jews were viewed as people, the people of God in the Old Testament, But understand that the church today is the true fulfillment of true Israel. Now, most of us, many here, tend to think there's going to be still a real special plan for the Jewish people at the end of time. I'm not so sure we can count on that. Because we are true Israel. And Jewish people who trust the Messiah also are. But so are the Gentiles who are just as equal in standing before God's eyes. Now, all of that's more than you asked for today. But understand, in the Old Testament, there was the law, particularly there were the Ten Commandments. But by the time we get to Jesus, by the time he comes along, the Jewish leaders and their scholars had taken the Ten Commandments and the other commandments, and they had expanded them so much that it was this huge Burdensome uh, uh, container of laws, things that Jesus didn't even, or that uh, Moses or God didn't even prescribe. For instance, in the Ten Commandments, it said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, right? And so their scholars asked the question, well, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? And so they invented a number of things. They invented the Sabbath day's journey. A certain distance you could travel on the Sabbath, but no further. They invented other things you could do in the way of work, but other things you could not. You could not wash dishes, lady. Wouldn't the Sabbath be a great day for you? But understand that if you had a pan of water, and you threw it out the door of your house, that was considered work. Why? Because that water may cause some unseen seed to germinate, and so you were doing work. Or Jesus, and it was this Sabbath law that Jesus was continually getting into trouble with the religious leaders about. He would heal somebody, and he just kept on healing people on the Sabbath, and they kept accusing him of working, not even thinking about the good he was doing for someone, not even seeing the miracle-working power of the Son of God, but just that he was a Sabbath breaker. So by the time of Jesus... This is the point I'm getting to. The law had become a very burdensome thing. It was something more than anyone could keep. But Jesus said, it's not intended to be this way. Do you remember what we have in Matthew chapter 22 when there is a lawyer that asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? In all of the Old Testament, Scripture. And what did Jesus say? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he gave him more than he asked for. He said there's a second law that's just right next to it. And it is this love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments, love God, love people. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Did you know that those two commandments, what he was giving them was the Ten Commandments? The first five commandments deal with how we love God and express our love for God. The second five deal with how we love our neighbors. And so even the Ten Commandments were vertical, the first five, love God, the greatest commandment of all, and the second, which is likened to it, love your neighbors. But all of that had gotten lost under all this weight and burden of minute, minutia rule-keeping. The Lord even repeated in Leviticus chapter 19. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those were God's words in the Old Testament. But you never find the religious leaders emphasizing that. Only condemnation. Only fault finding. So when Jesus said a new commandment I give to you, the mystery here is that it's not really a new commandment. It is the Old Commandment as God intended it to be. It is still the Old Testament Ten Commandments. But it is a new commandment because he is renewing an understanding of the old, but also, and this is something for another day, he is ushering in a new covenant of grace. That the heart of the Ten Commandments, love God, love people, that now you're going to see this expressed through grace for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast so a mystery Jesus why did you call it new because it was very old and very tired to all the people of his day and he's renewing the right spirit of the Old Testament law but he's bringing in A new covenant of grace. Mystery solved. Very quickly, let me give you the other three points. They won't take as long because I believe they are very self-evident. Number two, notice the mandate. We've looked at the mystery. Now look at the mandate. A new commandment I give unto you that you do what? That you love one another. Folks, this is not a suggestion to be considered for you to decide if you like it or want to do it. It is not a suggestion to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Either we do love one another as Jesus did or we don't. This word commandment means it is an injunction. It is a precept. It is an order, a directive, a commission to be heard, received, and obeyed. Folks, this is the most important commandment Jesus ever gave. He gave a number of commandments and directions to his people, but this is the most important one. It's the most important one for the disciples. It's the most important one for you and me. Remember, as I've already mentioned, these disciples were competitive. They were all jockeying for a position for a high place in the Messianic kingdom. And Jesus showed them the lowest place and said, this is where you need to be. Jesus knew that that spirit of rivalry would disrupt their fellowship. And that these men were going to be the pillars of the church when he was gone. That in the book of Acts, when the spirit comes in his fullness, that these men are going to be the preachers, are going to have to lead the church. They are going to have to be the ones to initiate and to follow through with the great commission which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So it took a great commandment to prepare them for a great commission. And knowing that their spirit of rivalry and competitiveness, that that would cause it all to unravel. And that's why he is saying now, love one another, love people as I have. That's why at the very end of his words In this upper room in John 17, he's going to be praying for the unity of these men to be unified in spirit and in love so that they, too, could love one another to the end. He expected them to do the same. This is, I remind you, the mark of the Christian. It should be the mark of the church. Word number three, notice the manner. The manner. And we could even say the measure. He gives it to us with these words. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You know, if he had just said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, and skip that phrase... And said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. It would have made this a lot easier. But you see, he elaborated on that love. He said, this is what love in my kingdom looks like. It's not love like you want to love. It's not a human kind of love. It is a divine kind of love. Just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. In manner, it was to be the same. In measure, it was to be just as great. Listen to me. God gave them a command that they could not fulfill in their flesh. You can't do it either. Not one of you. Not one of you can obey this command although it is a direct directive from God himself except for the fact that you've been born again and the spirit of God resides in you and through the holy spirit's power by yielding yourself to the holy spirit of God inside you you can do things beyond human capability. That's why he's going to say later on this evening in the upper room, he's going to say, greater things than I have done, you are going to do. The greater works of Jesus, they are done through the power of the Spirit. So we ask the question, he says, just as I've loved you, how has Jesus loved them? Exactly how has he loved them? I could give you a list of ways, but consider these. He loved them unconditionally. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, they didn't deserve his love. These rough and tumble fishermen, these devious and deceitful tax collectors, there was even one of these men that was a zealot He quite possibly had been an assassin that carried up his sleeve a long knife and knifed in the back Romans every every chance he got when no one was looking. Listen, when Jesus called his disciples, he called people that had far less credibility to their name than you did. listen to me that doesn't mean you were any better because you were just as lost you were just as lost he loved them unconditionally he didn't select them on the basis of what they had to offer to his kingdom he didn't say, okay, I've got 12 shots here. I want to be sure that I get a good, you know, a good bookkeeper. I want to be sure I get people who are good leaders. I want to be sure I get good people who are good at this or at that. He wasn't building an organization the way a lot of people are trying to build churches today. Jesus built his disciples. And loved unconditionally, unconditionally from those he dug up somewhere down underneath the bridge on the bad side of town. Today, churches are so quick to try to reach the pretty people. The people without big, bad issues or troubles. And they're trying to build church the exact opposite way of the Lord. He loved them unconditionally. These men were champion. Underperformers. They were the number two seed Kentucky Wildcats going up against number 15 seed St. Peter's, whatever they are. By the way, they're still there, aren't they? That's amazing. They were slow to understand, they were always slow on the uptake, they almost always said and did the wrong things. They were calling down fire from heaven on people when Jesus was wanting to show them love and grace and mercy. They were often motivated by the most selfish of goals. He loved them unconditionally, just like he loved you and still loves you today. He loved them extravagantly, extravagantly. Remember that stunning act of humility. These guys, if they didn't get the message, they could have bragged for the rest of their lives. Hey, look at these dogs. They were washed by the Son of God. He loved them extravagantly. And He has lavished on you and me, the word lavished on you and me, the riches of His grace. He loved them sacrificially. They would see just how much the next day he loved them endlessly remember verse one he loved them all the way to the end and then he says as i have loved you so you must love one another one commentator one bible scholar says this i quote the more we recognize the depth of our own sin the more we recognize the love of the Savior. The more we appreciate the love of the Savior, the higher his standard appears. Love one another as I have loved you. The higher his standard appears, the more we recognize our selfishness, our innate self-centeredness, and the depth of our own Sin. In these days of such fickle, man-centered, fake expressions and experiences of love, the kind of love demonstrated by Jesus and commanded by Jesus to you and me, is life-changing and redeeming. And that is our last point. It is life-changing because of the message that it sends. What is the message of this kind of love? When we learn to love one another as Jesus has loved us, what is the message? The message is the last part of this text, verse 35. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love For one another. He didn't say they will know you are my disciples if you have the biggest church building in town. He didn't say they will know that you are my disciples if you have the biggest congregation in town. He didn't say they will know you are my disciples if you have the purest doctrinal statement our theological beliefs, as important as all of that is. He said, they will know you are my disciples if you have love, not for God, certainly you have to have that, but you see, that's hard to quantify. They can't see how you love God. That happens as expressions of worship and obedience. But when we love one another, When God tells me I've got to love David Cook like I love myself, man, that's hard. Karen's nodding yes. She'd say amen if she could work it up. But when God tells us we love how we love one another, that's how the world will know. You see, there are great sermons, great theologically accurate creative and speech there are great sermons being preached all over this country this morning but it's falling on deaf ears and the lost are not coming to Jesus why? because in so many cases those sermons aren't being lived out in the one doing the speaking or the congregation he's speaking to they will know they will know We are His disciples if, capital I, capital F, if you have love one for another. Godly love is the one thing that cannot be matched. It cannot be measured. It cannot be mimicked by the world. It is totally different. Christ-like love is the message of the gospel. It should be also the motive for all of our relationships in life. Did you get that? Should be the motive of all of our relationships in life. You've heard it so many times, you probably can quote it. But I want to give it to you again today. In fact, I think it's there in your worship guide. These are the words of John White in one of the books that he wrote. The church that convinces men that there is a God in heaven is a church that manifests what only a heavenly God can do. That is, to unite human beings in heavenly love. He explains Miracles of healing, powerful preaching, superb organization, they all have their place. But there is nothing on earth which convinces men about heaven or that, listen now, awakens their craving for it like the discovery of Christian brothers and sisters who love one another. Now listen. The sight of loving unity among believers arrests, arrests the unbeliever. It crashes through the barriers of his intellect. It stirs up his conscience and creates a tumult of longing in his heart. Why does it do that? Because he was created to enjoy the very thing you are demonstrating. When Creator Jesus knelt down and with His own hands scraped together dust, dirt that He had already created and began to shape and to form a human being, the first man, the first Adam. And when He shaped his head, his hands, his feet. And when he worked on the details of eyelashes and the mechanism of an elbow, aren't you glad you have one? And when he worked on all these details and he fashioned his organs and how they were to work, a miracle piece of machinery that gives life, and when he created an eyeball that could see the world all around him, he also put something inside that first man and that first woman. He put inside of them a longing for God, a God-consciousness. A God awareness that asks the question, what is out there? How did all of it come to be? Questions that your dog and your cat or your chimpanzee, if you've got one, how not a single animal created thinks the same things or understands. Only man did he breathe the breath of life into. And he created A longing for God. A longing that even in the beginning that was going to be satisfied and was going to be awakened and drawn by seeing people who maybe are so opposite, so different from one another, not related in any way by blood or family, to see those people loving one another sacrificially. Washing one another's feet, serving one another gladly, not in haughtiness or seeking recognition. Giving deeply of themselves and giving away love to God in worship and love to one another in service. He formed the first man that when he saw that and every man or woman, boy or girl that has lived since or is living today that they have that same longing they're looking for, and you know what they're doing? They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Can only be found only the love that satisfies, only the love that saves, is found in this kind of love. Take this with you. This new commandment is simple enough. For a toddler to memorize and appreciate, even a toddler can learn a new commandment I give you, love one another. Yet it is profound enough that the most mature believers like you and me are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly we comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, for this commandment that overwhelms us, this commandment that we could never accomplish in our flesh. But through your spirit, I pray that we would love you and love one another, that we would be expressions of Jesus in our world today. And I ask this in his name. Amen.
0: Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfedville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.